Welcome to the Real Python Podcast. This is episode 170. What should you consider for picking a font for coding in Python? What characters and their respective glyphs should you check before making your decision? This week on the show, we talk with Real Python author and core team member Philip Xeni about his recent article, Choosing the Best Coding Font for Programming. Philip shares some of his background as a font engineer and graphic designer. We talk about how font design tools were his introduction to programming in Python. We discuss how frequent Python syntax of underscores, at signs, parentheses, and asterisks should affect your decision. Philip's tutorial provides several resources to help you find a monospace font that fits your coding requirements. All right, let's get started. The Real Python Podcast is a weekly conversation about using Python in the real world. My name is Christopher Bailey, your host. Each week, we feature interviews with experts in the community and discussions about the topics, articles, and courses found at realpython.com. After the podcast, join us and learn real-world Python skills with a community of experts at realpython.com. Hey, Philip, welcome to the show. Hello, hello. I'm super happy to be back. <laughs> yeah, we had you on, gosh... Maybe a year ago, you you came on with Christopher and myself, and we talked about your was it? Flask sort of series. I guess it was exactly. Yeah, yeah I, I remember it like it was yesterday. No, it it was uh, <laughs> it was November last year uh, when I okay. was creating the series about Flask, and uh, yeah, I I had the honor of joining the two Christophers on the show. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, well, and uh, you're back uh, to discuss something that is maybe. Uh, a little closer to your history in programming and previous career path to talk about fonts. And you wrote this article titled Choosing the Best Coding Font for Programming. It came out about a month or so ago. And I have to admit that I sort of glossed over it because I was like, oh, I got my <laughs> font selected. I'm good. But then uh, you actually went on another podcast to talk about it, uh, Engineering Kiosk uh, number 79, which is a German podcast. Maybe you can tell me a little bit about that that show. Had you been listening to it or how did those guys find you? Well, um, I mean, to be honest, I, I would love to say that I was a long-time listener and was uh, invited to the show finally, but this only holds true to the Ray <laughs> Python podcast, not the other one. Ah, okay. uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, they, they stumbled over my tutorial, which was super cool. And uh, they were yeah. happy that it was a German speaker writing it, and so they invited me to their uh, tech podcast, and we were talking a little bit about it, about programming fonts and all of this. Yeah, so then you came along, be like, "Hey, it, it can't just be your, you know, a German podcast talking about <laughs> fonts you need to come to this show." Hey, as hey, well. hey. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, when I dug into the the article, I got kind of fascinated due to the sort of digging into different areas, and we'll we'll talk about it. Partly, just there's a lot of really interesting kind of fascinating angles beyond what I might call the fussiness of setting up things. Um, I, I used to listen pretty regularly to like a productivity podcast. It was called back to work. Hmm. Um, the host is this guy, Merlin Mann. He's kind of famous like for different things, but one of the things he 
coined the phrase uh, inbox zero that a lot of people use for kind of managing your email and stuff like that. But anyway, he likes to use this term of productivity porn. Um, <laughs> this idea that you spend all this time and effort of like getting things perfectly right and it's going to really make you so much more productive. If I just got some better pens, a new quality notebook, man, I'm really going to get stuff done. And so I, I feel like I lived that <laughs> for a little bit. And so, and I also have a different relationship with fonts. I was in a band. A lot of people know that I'm kind of a music guy. And I spent, I don't know, countless days at uh, Kinko's making copies. If people are familiar with that place of making copies and things like that. So I was selecting fonts and making jackets for a cassette tapes that we were selling or CDs or flyers or so fonts were a big part of my life back you know actually one of the biggest revolutions that computers provided individuals was hey you could print stuff at home and so mm. in the 90s that was like a, a huge thing so yeah I've kind of a mixed background on fonts so then as I dug into this I was like oh wait I haven't really thought about it in a programming sense outside of you know the general idea like when you pick a font for programming, most people kind of steer toward, or, or actually most environments steer toward a, a monospace font. And maybe you could describe that in case somebody's not familiar with it. And so what, what's a monospace font? Yeah, so, so maybe maybe let, let me start off with that. I totally know what what you're saying about like this uh, that you can dive into creating your your perfect uh, programming uh, environment and choosing a color theme <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and stuff like this. Sure. And I think it's it's good to do it because I mean you you want to to be in a room that's that's well decorated where where you're happy to to work and uh, I think the computer should be one of those places. But I totally see it that you can overdo it and it can be kind of like an excuse to not doing the actual work. <laughs> but it looks really pretty right now. <laughs> and uh, he, here I come along and be like, let let me add one one tool to your tool set where you need to choose the best thing for, and this is fonts and. I, I wanted to to create this tutorial because fonts are close to my heart, and we can can talk a little bit more about this in in a moment. But I didn't just want to create a tutorial like there are so many of them, like the ten best fonts that you can use for programming. But I wanted to to give it a different take and dive a little bit deeper, and uh, also explain a little bit why it might make sense to yeah to look a little bit closer and why it might make sense to actually yeah change the font that you are having in the editor. And uh, yeah, you were mentioning monospace. That's kind of the, the general thing. Usually it's monospace fonts, but that's also where it stops. And monospace means every character has the same space and uh, not, for example, like in a proportional font where an I, which is a, a very narrow character, only gets the, the space it needs right. in the monospace font. It has the same space like a uppercase W, right? which then in the end results in sometimes weird designs because you need to do something with the space that the character now has. And uh, so and if you dive in there, you can see that different fonts choose the, uh, different font designers uh, or type designers choose different ways of solving this problem. And yeah, that's, that's where you can go into the rabbit hole and yeah. really find out where programming fonts perform or not perform for your own taste. Yeah, so maybe we could talk about the article itself, the tutorial. It, I, I really like that you included a, a healthy family of fonts. I forget the exact number, but it comes with a PDF that you can sort of 
show on your computer screen to have two windows together to as you're diving into the details of the fonts the ligatures or the spacing or you know the different designs that are in there you can kind of compare this list of fonts over um that was a neat idea how'd you come up with why that was going to work for you so, so yeah one thing which which was important to me is to not favor one font so so that basically all boils down to choose this font because this one is the best because it's a super personal <laughs> choice <my> and <laughs> right. you can buy it here so yeah like maybe like as a footnote all of these fonts i'm i'm talking about in in the tutorial are free to use so um there are, weren't any affiliate links or, or something something like that and it's it's a personal personal taste and what i try to do is to kind of give you the reader a big bunch of uh, fonts that, that you have enough to look at and you can make comparisons, maybe be a bit overwhelmed at the beginning, but then I try to take you along by like just spotlighting one font at a time with a different uh, feature. And in the end, I think it's 27 fonts that I that I chose. Some of them are more known, like Roboto or Roboto, <laughs> like Roboto or <laughs> Anonymous Pro or is that the Italian uh, version there? <laughs> <laughs> Roboto and uh, Jet JetBrains Mono. So, so some of them uh, are more well known yeah. and often are the the more obvious choices. And then I took some that that were not so well known. And uh, I don't know. I think when I started writing the article, I had around ten fonts that I that I was looking at. But while I was writing, I found so many other interesting fonts that I wanted to to discuss in the article. So so the list grew and grew and grew. Yeah. And yeah, it's the, the the nice thing is in the end, it's a little bit like you're you're walking through a gallery and. You look at this painting and you like this because of whatever reasons and the other painting you don't like. And at the end of your walk through the gallery, you might walk out with uh, three. Well, hopefully you don't walk out with the paintings, but <laughs> you walk out with uh, the postcards that you can buy in the <laughs> in the souvenir shop in the end where you uh, that you really like. Yeah, exit through the gift shop. <laughs> exactly. So I, I try to do the same that you that you read the tutorial and you have this this list that you can have as a PDF. You go out uh, and then like after reading the tutorial, you go out and try those fonts out in your own programming editor. Yeah. I like that they're all downloadable. You include the links for them. I uh, include this resource of the PDF to do the comparisons with, you know, not only the font itself, but the number of styles that it comes in and then some other kind of key key elements there. And so nice resources to kind of include. And then I guess one of the things that we can kind of dive into and why this becomes kind of crucial is there are potential issues that you might come up into when you start programming with a font. And a lot of it has to do with, I feel like, readability. And a lot of yeah. existing fonts, they end up not being focused on that. It's more like for uh, scannability in a certain way. Whereas in programming, it's really important that you can tell the difference between a number one and a lowercase l <laughs> or the letter i, uh, capitalized or what have you. And so and we can kind of get into the, some of the details there, but you do a, a lot of that kind of stuff where you're like, okay, well, if you compare here, you're going to start to see some of these differences. And I think you might have, like, I don't know, a good 
10 or 12 different sort of factors that you've included in there and say, hey, actually drill in and look at this. And uh, that actually became very interesting. Yeah. Does that kind of get into some of your background too? Or Yeah. So, so, so maybe like just, just to, to take one, one step back and talk about fonts in, in general, which, which, yeah, sure. which I find so interesting is that the moment we wake up in the morning, pick our phone or we look around, we read a book, or read the newspapers, we go out and there are typefaces everywhere so you can't uh, walk through the world right. without signage yeah <laughs> uh, exactly without seeing seeing yeah. words and, and letters and uh, there are people who design this and as a programmer you're staring at your code for such a long time and maybe especially as a python programmer you're there is this beautiful code and white space notion that the programming language brings and uh, the font is front and center of this so it's worth to to take a closer look at it and to investigate what makes my font that I'm using more readable or what features do I like or dislike and to to then make a choice that ideally the code that you're writing is not just beautiful because of the like the the content that you're writing but also the font that you're using. Right. Yeah, definitely. I agree. And it's not something that I dug too deep into. Like I feel that overall it's something I spent maybe a short amount of time in configuring my editor and then looking at a couple things. And then maybe every once in a while, something new comes along. Like mm. you had mentioned JetBrains Mono, which is one of the ones that's in the list here. Yeah. And when that came along, I was like, oh, that's very interesting. And uh, that's actually one that I've tried out recently and, and, and have been recent being the last two years. has been a change in some of the stuff that I've, I've tried out. So yeah, there's a lot of factors that go into there. What were some of the things that you felt that you could drill into as far as this comparison and these areas to kind of focus on to say, hey, let me take you on this guided tour of of fonts and design and and you know what's happening there. Yes, yeah, so, so basically there are two bigger areas, and one area is is maybe uh, true for not only programming fonts uh, but but fonts in in general and. When I was learning, so, so my background to to quickly weave this in, so I learned uh, type design. So I wanted to be be a illustrator, then I wanted to be a graphics designer, and at art school you did different things. And there was also type design as uh, one profession that you could choose. And I got curious because the cool thing about type design, so when you're actually designing those letters that you're seeing uh, everywhere, is that it's black and white. So uh, you you don't have to bother about cleaning your brushes or color theory and stuff like this, but you're only working with forms, the negative space of things. And this was very appealing to me to kind of get rid of everything that hmm. that brought color <laughs> into it. Yeah, it's very stark in some ways. Yeah. E- exactly. That that brought yeah. color on my on my table and I was able to uh, to work mainly digital, which uh, which I also liked. And when you're starting to to design yeah, your first typeface, there is one important rule, and that is that a letter, uh, like a specific letter, is understood as a specific letter. So if you think about a lowercase a, you have kind of like a form in your head. And then you have different typefaces that interpret this form in a certain way. So they have different, different ways of how this uh, little a looks but it still needs to be understood as an A. <laughs> so you can't go too crazy. And I mean, right. I was in art school, so people wanted to go crazy. And that was the, the thing that the professors always needed to make sure that 
you you can't just uh, draw anything and pretend it's an A. People need to read it. Right. <laughs> and the other thing is then, even if you design the most beautiful A in the world, it also has to work with the other characters. And a font can have so many characters. Uh, looking at it from, from a programmer perspective, you, you don't only have ASCII, but you, you also have different languages. Like you have Greek, you have uh, Cyrillic, you have Korean and, and so on. So it's basically, it's, it's a never-ending repertoire of characters that you could design and they need to work together so coming back to to right. the little they a, need to look like they're part of the family or whatever you call exactly, it exactly yeah. exactly so coming back to the little a so if you have a, have a word like like able so the a and the b and the l and the e need to to work together so you they, they have to speak the same language they have to to look similar and uh, so in the end it's kind of like you you design an individual letter but in the end you have to make the whole system work and that's something which later was very similar when i when i learned programming that it's it's kind of a similar approach that you can't just write this one beautiful algorithm if the rest of your uh, of your program sucks so you, you need to to find a balance between <laughs> right. uh, between everything there and uh, yeah coming back to the program fonts that's something which which i wanted to look at like how are the letters designed and do they properly represent what they stand for and how good can i differentiate them from others and that's basically where the the, the bridge is built to to the second field is like what what makes a programming font different than a normal font besides maybe of being monospace and being a, being a bit more technical in in the in the characteristics right is that for <laughs> for us programmers it's super important to understand like this is a one and this is an l and this is an uppercase i because if they look too similar you don't know what code you're writing here and there right right or you're going to you're going to interpret other people's code uh, the wrong way, potentially. And if you're trying to look at something, um, you're going to potentially retype a variable name incorrectly. And there's all kinds of weird little errors you could make. I guess a similar one would be one There's actually, I don't know if it's a rule or not, but pretty common thing with programming fonts or maybe monospace fonts is the confusion that can happen with a, a zero and an uppercase letter O. Yeah. And so... There's a couple different techniques they use there, right? Exactly. So, so yeah, that, that's that's a very common thing. That's, for example, there there is a little dot uh, inside of the zero, or there is a slash in, in the zero. So you really make sure that this is not an uppercase O, but a zero. And that's that's a very common thing. And luckily, and that's a nice thing. Many of those fonts provide different styles of the of, of a zero and uh, when you download sometimes you can configure your own font that you're saying like hey i like the the dotted zero more than the slashed one so please put the dotted zero as the standard zero into my font or you can use uh, python tools to uh, to put them into the font and so they are it's it's nice to see that the type designers who make the the fonts are aware of the different tastes that uh, their users have I haven't seen the dotted zero as much. That seems to be a little less common one. The slash zero was something I'd seen pretty commonly, you know, coming into fonts in, in the 90s and so forth. But yeah, that's, I don't know if that's like a a different parts of the world kind of preference or just a, a recent thing. I, I, it seemed like kind of a change to me. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I, I don't know about that much about that. If there was a shift to uh, to the... <laughs> 
dotted zero or the slash zero at some point. It maybe also has to do with better screens now. So if you're working with small text uh, in a small resolution, maybe the slash inside of a zero is more distinctive than just having the dot. So maybe it is uh, yeah. not okay. so well readable, but... Yeah, I don't know. Like I, I'm, I'm looking at the list of fonts right now, and I think it's it's fifty fifty what zero they they are having as their standard zero. <laughs> Interesting. But yeah, and then you you have other other yeah. characters like I was mentioning the the uppercase I and the L, where it's it's not this uh, quote unquote simple way of solving this issue by putting a slash through it. So, for example, if your name is L and you're using some font to to write A L. It also can can look like AI, and I think uh, that is uh, yeah, yeah. something which <laughs> Al Swigert has <laughs> uh, definitely talked about that, and he's he's complained about it. He's like, I hate that my name and and a lot of fonts just looks like AI, <laughs> and it's like so he's tended to want to maybe just capitalize the whole thing because then it'll, the L will definitely stand out. But yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly, and and I mean in in a programming font, um, this is something which which is a common. Uh, issue that you want to uh, because you don't have the typical words uh, often so you have sometimes weird character combinations uh, so um, you really want to make sure that your uppercase i is understood as an uppercase i and so there comes something into play which is called serifs these, these are the little like uh, legs and arms that that characters can can have to really make it clear like this is this is an uppercase i and this is a lowercase l this is a one and so on yeah, you'll see it on like a, a lowercase l where there'll be like a little uh, top piece and maybe like a tiny hook at the bottom of it to kind of really differentiate it in, in certain fonts. Yeah, I kind of wonder about like monospace fonts, if, if the term is somewhat related to typewriters, like in the sense that those would be standardized spacing also, right? Yeah, and and if if you look at some monospace, monospace uh, fonts, they share the the aesthetic of, of typewriter fonts, and some of I I can't put the finger on which uh, which ones uh, they are, but probably some of the fonts that I was uh, discussing in in the article were descendants from some some typewriter, and they're yeah basically every every letter needed to have their own space, and probably and that's an area where I'm also not so knowledgeable about terminals uh, came into play and you had like your screen metrics so probably it was also super important that all the letters uh, have the same space and now it goes more into a di- direction where you could argue it's it's still an aesthetic that we as programmers may like and it ha- still has some advantages so for example if you're moving your cursor up and down you don't want to like let it like jump through some some kind of uh, weird grid but you want like the horizontals and the verticals aligned and it gives a more clear text body in in your code if it's monospace but it doesn't really have to be monospace in, in an editor, at least, in a normal um, text editor, at least. I think in terminal, it still makes sense, especially if you're creating graphical user or text interfaces in the terminal where you need to have borders and stuff like this. So you need to you want to have everything yeah. aligned uh, next to each other. But in the editor, it's still mainly monospace because it's kind of like the the aesthetic that's, that we came into and it makes still makes sense to use a monospace font uh, as a programmer. Right. Like you were talking about the alignment that you can tell alignment-wise that 
these lines of code are the same length and it allows you to do certain things with the white space aesthetic of python of like indentation and exactly and so forth it's like okay these characters kind of yeah it's it's an interesting art form in and of itself that is kind of goes unnoticed if you aren't paying any attention to it exactly and i mean maybe just to to mention it i like i when, when i was researching this tutorial for for me it was basically a given that a font has to be monospace as a programming font and again like for the mm. terminal this still holds holds true but not so much for the editor and i stumbled upon a blog entry where the creator of input mono was saying well actually you can also use my uh, input sans font as a programming font and he says that it it looks in his opinion even a bit better than than his mono font because coming back to this mono space you can give each character the space it's it needs and uh, the lowercase i for example doesn't need so much space so your code will actually look a little bit neater if uh, if you're using this this input sense font and well at first i was like I don't believe you. Then I downloaded it, and uh, it was true. So <laughs> I, I used it for a while, and okay. apart from some issues here and there, it it worked quite well. But yeah, to to keep things a bit simpler, I think it's still a good idea to look for monospace fonts, and all the fonts that we have in the tutorial are basically monospace fonts. Some of the areas that you you spend some time on is you drill into what I would call potentially problematic areas, and. I had asked you offline right before we started that these sort of uh, collections of letters, this it's it's similar to like the the phrases somebody might type out to to see and compare a font before the the brown dog jumps over or whatever that <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> I think there's a couple of those uh, phrases, but I you had done this to kind of do this comparison, and so you said, okay, well, look at how lowercase the letter a g j k and y kind of look and and then compare them across the different fonts and so i thought that was really interesting and then you kind of like i think you did about seven or eight or different areas kind of drilling into these and i found those really useful but you said there really wasn't a, a specific name for this sort of comparison uh subset of letters yeah like i wish there, there was or, or maybe i should come up with uh with one like th this is the official way of comparing <laughs> yeah. programming fonts now so so for me it was more about which which characters are interesting to look at and coming back to to when you when you're designing uh, a font there are or i should say like a typeface because the font is basically like the the software, the font file, and the typeface is more like the idea of, of the design and stuff like this. And the font is the technical represent representation that you can install on your computer. Okay. But to keep things simple, let's let's say font. So when you're designing a font, um, there are letters that are, or characters that are more fun to design and others that are a bit more dull. <laughs> okay. And for example, the, the lowercase a is a really interesting one because you, you have different decisions to make. So there is a double story A and like a single story A, which is hard to describe in audio now. But so so basically one one just has, has like one 
bow and the other one has like this little arm above it yeah yeah reaching above it <laughs> exactly and the same is with, with a g sometimes you have like those two bubbles uh, basically sitting on top of each other and sometimes you also just have like this this tail on on the bottom and when you're designing something like this you're basically defining the language that the, the design language that the font will speak so if you look at those letters you can get a really good impression about the characteristics of a font. Um, this is something which which always... What kind of tails it's going to have. Exactly. If how, it's going to have bubbles and... How playful is it? How how like strict is it? And playful, yeah. And this is funky. something that, that fascinated <laughs> me yeah, from, from the beginning when I, when I started to learn more about graphics design. Is of course, when you set a text, you have the text content that transmits some kind of meaning but uh, the font that you're setting this text in does as well and as a very cliche example think about comic sans and uh, maybe like like a sure. lawyer letter that you're getting from a lawyer suing you about something and it's set in comic <laughs> right. sans so it's, it's there is some kind of like this this weird friction uh, there so there is always some some emotional baggage that that a font brings with which can be positive or, or negative so so if you look at those letters in, in a programming font you can have this on a on a on a certain level in a more specific area as well that you're think uh, that you're looking at a font for example there is one it's a fantastic sans mono which is very playful and i can totally see programmers oh yeah cheering for a font like this and saying like yeah i, I want to have like a font that brings a little bit of spice into my into my editor and others are like wow that's that's not technical enough like i don't like like those those wiggly lines uh, here and there so yeah and that's where why i thought like for example ag j k and y are interesting characters to look at or the uppercase q where you have like this little this little uh, tail coming out of the q which designers also have to find a solution how to do it and some are more playful some are more straight right and looking at them you can really see the character of of a programming font just looking at those letters it makes me think of my uh one of my favorite center at live things of the the avatar <laughs> with ryan gosling papyrus i'm sure you've seen that <laughs> yeah papyrus yeah so i'll include a link to that if you haven't seen it it's hilarious so uh, on the font discussion um <laughs> I like the other combinations you did, though. Like that's why I thought to myself, like, are these the regular ones? Like you did a, a, a way of sort of comparing uppercase letters and numbers, and you used capital H seven, capital C nine, and T, and they have a very interesting flow together, also, and can really point out the numbers. Sometimes are interesting. Like uh, I want to call them like subset, but they're they're they can be sort of offset in an interesting way. Yeah which that tells you a lot and can, I think, lead to very interesting readability, especially if you're going to combine them, numbers and letters in, in different different ways in your side of your programming. Absolutely. And and that's something which which might be, uh, again, a difference to a normal text font where certain combinations, if like if we talk about letters and, and numbers, you, you probably don't have that many many occurrences where where they appear together uh, but in programming that's like not super uncommon <laughs> so it's it's good right. to yeah. to have a closer look at it as well and for example with the the h like the, the uppercase h is a good uh character to look at because it kind of defines the capital uh height of of the capital letters yeah 
and I decided to put the the seven next to it because the seven also have has this top bar. And there you can see in some fonts, they have the, the same height. So it, it gives a very smooth line if you have the letters H7 next to each other. Uh, and in other fonts, they don't have the same height. So you have a little bit of a, like of a bumpy ceiling. Right. And again, no judging. Some people <laughs> might, uh, might like it more to, to have like this little bumpiness because it makes it also more differentiating. So, so it's maybe a bit easier to differentiate the number from from an uppercase letter but for others that might look silly so again everybody can can choose what what they like and then you mentioned like the c and the nine so there you have this uh this roundedness uh on on the top that you can you can compare with each other so uh that's why it's h7 and c9 and i wrap it up with the t because the t again has this has this top bar to right. to see like how how low does the does the nine uh, stands uh, compared to the to the t that's why why I came with this this weird uh, string of letters um, which from now on is the official way of comparing yeah. <laughs> numbers and letters in programming <laughs> you have to use this yeah. no way yeah. around it this is a philippism so <laughs> <laughs> um, the other differentiation I felt like works really well is this set that you have that I think really dives into the programming language part of it, which is, and I've had this problem, I think other people probably have had this problem of differentiating a comma and a period, um, and then that leads right into colon or semicolon, and then you had this whole like set that went there um, from there, I won't dive into it, but when you're thinking about a programming font, like comma and period, and knowing the difference between the two makes a huge difference when you're programming uh, as far as like how it's going to behave. So, and forgetting one uh, is going to be a mess. So that is so true. And that was also a little bit when, when I was getting annoyed at some, um, some design solutions that some of those uh, fonts fonts had, and I mean, granted, some of them might not have started as as programming fonts. Yeah. But uh, the more I looked at some of those details, and and you were mentioning the comma and uh, and the dot, it's so important that you can that you can see the difference. And yeah. in some fonts, you you have like this: the comma is kind of like a little bit a little bit longer than than a dot and uh, <laughs> yeah. in small sizes it's it's really hard uh, to differentiate and uh, so that is something which i think as a programmer really makes sense to to have a closer look depending on the font size you're using the font uh, with obviously and how well your eyesight is but it really makes sense to <laughs> yeah to choose a font where you can differentiate it because it's i mean on the keyboard they are next to each other as well so it's really easy to have a typo here uh, using the wrong one and if you're working with with numbers or currency or stuff like this you don't want to like put the, the comma or the dot in the wrong uh, spot so it makes sense to have a font where you can really differentiate uh, them <laughs> yeah and again looking at the design how how some uh, type designers chose to solve this problem you can really find really nice, nice ways how how they did it. For example, in the Mononoki, the comma is is really excessive, and <laughs> if you're just looking at it as it is, it it looks weird. But it makes so much sense as a programming font that you can really see like, okay, so this is a comma compared to the dot, which is like a circleish thing. 
and uh, so th- this was was the yeah, moment it's pretty where accentuated yeah I- exactly so so this was were the moments where i was uh, kind of getting more and more excited to see that uh, yeah like the thoughts that designers put into the design of fonts and uh, yeah because coming back to to my time when when i was designing typefaces at some point i kind of s- like pivoted into learning to program because when you're doing uh, when you're creating fonts, there is a big cosmos of of tools around it, which uh, is usually created in Python. So that's that's how I uh, became a programmer, and I kind of waved goodbye to that's interesting to yeah. the to the type designers who continue to to designing fonts. And it's such a tedious process because you have so many characters and there are so many things you need to keep in mind. And in the end, and maybe that's like. I, I kind of like this notion of nobody really thinks about it unless it doesn't work. So if you're creating a, a nice typeface and it just works, nobody really might think about it unless uh, they're reading a <laughs> tutorial about programming fonts or uh, they are graphic designers. But uh, to, to see like that there is always a decision in the background made. And uh, when I was looking at those commas, it, it was nice to to think about the designer probing like, being on their on their <laughs> computer for days, like just uh, like <laughs> mingling with the Bezier curves to, to curves to get like this perfect comma there, and uh, in the end, uh, I don't know if they got feedback from like other users who say like Mwah, really nice comma. So right. uh, that's why I was very very excited uh, that I that I looked a bit closer and to to see that's really the love that that uh, many of those uh, put into their fonts. This week, I want to shine a spotlight on another RealPython video course. It's following the theme of working with characters and words this week. You get to design a command line interface based game that you can share with friends. And it looks great too. It's titled Create a Python Wordle Clone with Rich. Based on a RealPython step by step project by Gerana Hiela, the video course is presented by Darren Jones. And he'll show you how to build out a command line application from a prototype to a polished game. Read and validate user input. Use Rich's console to create an attractive user interface in the terminal. Refactor your code as you go and practice adding tests. Organize your code into functions and provide your users with actionable feedback. I think this project is a worthy investment of your time. To learn CLI fundamentals, practice refactoring, and get a project that's fun to share with others. RealPython video courses are broken into easily consumable sections and where needed include code examples for the techniques shown. In this case, a version of the project after each section of the course. All lessons have a transcript, including closed captions. Check out the video course. You can find a link in the show notes or you can find it using the search tool on realpython.com. To drill into using Python in the creation of these fonts, is it something where it's helping you fill out the family based upon a certain set of techniques or how is Python being used in that industry and how you kind of ended up uh, falling in love with it and and making that more of your direction for the rest of your career? So so yeah, there there is this this moment of automation, which uh, Python is basically the the a great okay. a great way of being lazy and letting letting python do things for you 
And again, if you're thinking about the characters that a font has, there is an A. And then in German, you have the A umlaut um, with the two dots above. And then you have like different different other diacritics uh, above it. So basically, you, you kind of have the system and you, you have to exercise it through a whole bunch of, of other characters. So that's something where automation really helps you because you don't want to set them by hand. There is software that you're usually used to to design fonts. So back in the days, there was a font lab when, when I was studying. Nowadays, there is uh, something called RoboFont, which is entirely written in Python as well that help you with, with stuff like, like this. But of course you can, and, and all of them had an a- API to enable you to use your own scripts, which are Python scripts. So that's where it was basically, okay, so if I want to automate things okay. like a bit more out of the box, what those editors uh, offer to me, I guess I have to create my own tools uh, for it. And that's something which is very common in, in the font engineering world that's, yeah, type designers and font engineers who are more taking more uh, care of the technical part of fonts, they create their own tools and they create their own cosmos because it's it's not a really big industry like that there would be an Adobe tool or something like this uh, for it, but it's it's this this tiny little little world uh, where people create their own tools and <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it grew that it's uh, most of them are are built in Python, so that's uh, how I kind of went into it. So so there is one of the, the Python as a practical tool of automating things, but also that the font engineering world already kind of demanded Python as their chosen language for those tools. Hmm. It's interesting that they, they selected that as the language. What are reasons that you felt like that happened? Well, I mean, one of the reasons uh, I, I think also played a role probably is that the brother from Guru van Rossum is a type designer as well, Just van Rossum. Okay. He's teaching in Den Haag, uh, or I, I think he's still teaching uh, in, in Den Haag, which is an art school which which teaches uh, type design. And he was one of the, the people on the forefront of creating those tools. And uh, maybe Python was, uh, was one of the more obvious choices if you have a person who can help you a phone call away. So um, that's, that's maybe something which, <laughs> yeah, sure. uh, which played part in it. But I mean, the other thing, which I can freely say on a Python podcast, it's, it's a really nice programming language for people who are starting to learn programming because the overhead to begin with is not, not so big. And the, the hurdle to start with it is, is not, not that high. You don't have the compiler and stuff like this. You don't have to install that many things. The font editors, again, brought like this, this API with them that you could basically start to program in the editor. So I think this made it uh, easy for students to, um, to start with, with Python more and more. And, and then at some point, it's kind of this, yeah, locked in system basically. If if everything is in Python, why would you choose to do yeah. to to use a different uh, language to do something if it's if it's just very complicated uh, to do so? There are a few tools which are not programmed in Python, but I think if you want to go more into this font world, Python is still the the number one uh, language to learn for this. Yeah. So I have kind of two questions that I wanted to dive into uh, that are talking a little bit more about 
languages. One is the programming language, and does it make sense to use a different font for a different programming language? Is there like a reasoning that it might make sense one way or the other? And I guess that might be what symbols are used more in one language versus another. And then the other has to do with, like, you have this whole thing on your PDF that dives into the number of characters that are available, and it, it's shocking the <laughs> variation that is there, um, which I think you mentioned briefly. Like, it's like, okay, well, you know, you're going to possibly represent all these other languages that are in a written form, and so that you might be upwards of 10,000 characters versus maybe somewhere around 800 or something like yeah. that um, if you're just... You know, going beyond the standard set of ASCII. So that's kind of two separate things. So does it make sense to use a different font for a different programming language would be my first one. And then we could talk about like why it might be useful to have all these other characters for if you're programming and maybe writing comments and stuff in your own language. Yeah. And is that a good idea too? So I don't know which one you want to take first. Um, no, let's, let's take the programming uh, languages first because I, th- I think it's a bit of a smaller field in, in that way Yeah, that... Many programming languages share different, share similar syntax. So you have some characters uh, reappearing in almost every programming language. So one of these are parentheses, quotes, curly braces, uh, things like that. However, in some programming languages, you have them more, and in some programming languages, you have them less. And then obviously, it also Depends a little bit in which field you are, so with what kind of data you're you're working and stuff like that. When I was starting the tutorial, I kind of was thinking like, how can I spin this to make it valid on the Python tutorial website, right? So if like I right. don't just want to talk about programming fonts in general, but also make it more valuable for Python programmers. While I was uh, starting to to write and research. An interesting thing happened, which which I, I always like when writing things, it's that something occurs to me which wasn't that obvious uh, before. And that, for example, the underscore is actually a super important character in Python programming. Yeah. And again, maybe for other languages as well. But uh, I basically put the underscore as one of the most important characters to look at in Python because uh, you're using it so so often. So variables are recommended to be written in snake case. That means you have lowercase letters and underscore to to kind of make make variables and variable word combinations uh, out of it. Yeah. Or with methods and matching methods uh, where you have two underscores with each other. And so that's why I thought like, okay, for Python, it's actually good to look at this character, how it's designed. Because again, you have different different choices to make as a designer. So one is how thick is the line? Like, do you do you have like a very hairliney design, or do you do you have a very like bold uh, design of this horizontal bar? Where is this bar positioned on on the vertical axis? Like, is it very below the baseline? The baseline is basically the the line where the letters stand or sit or lay on. Sure. And is this is this underscore like a little bit deeper or higher? And the other thing, which for me personally is quite important, does this underscore expand through the whole um, bounding box, uh, which is basically the the box, the horizontal space that a character can use. And often the underscore uses this entire space. That means if you have two underscores next to each other, they create a line. So there is no gap in between. 
And I kind of like this gap because it makes me understand, hey, there are two underscores there. There is not like one big line, which might be two underscores, might be three underscores. With this gap, it's it's easy to, or, or better to, to see. <laughs> right. So that was something which, when, when I was writing, I was a bit happy to to dive into it because I never thought about this uh, that much. But then looking at different fonts, having a different approach to it. So for example, there is a Deja Vu Sans Mono, which has a very hairline line without gaps compared to Fira Code, for example, which is more thicker with a gap in between. Yeah, again, everybody can choose their own taste in this. So some might like this uh, more hairline, some might like the more thick lines and so on. So this was was a character which which I thought was was very interesting for Python programming and uh, specifically. Yeah, and then what I was mentioning, parentheses, curly braces, uh, the add symbol that you're using for decorators. Depending on yeah the code that you're that you're writing, they might appear more or less, but you might have a preference uh, here and there where it where it can make sense to use a font where they are maybe very extravaganza and uh, like especially with the curly braces, <laughs> uh, you have the feeling that uh, yeah. this is a character where type designers uh, opened their window and uh, uh, were going wild, had a little fun, had a little fun, <laughs> um, and. Yeah. Uh, some are like more more straight with it. You have a character like the asterisk, which is also a very interesting um, character yeah. in Python programming that has has different jobs to do in the Python syntax. And this little star. And yeah, if you're drawing a star, how many arms do you give the star? Is it five? Is it six? If it is, it, is it seven or even more? And again, different fonts have different uh, asterisk in there. They are also Bigger, smaller, sitting higher, lower. Yeah, and so this was was very very cool to look at and and put pictures in there and and call some fonts out like, hey, look, this font actually has like a super big asterisk. So the space mono, um, which maybe is a fitting right. fitting name, then it's like the size of an A sitting right next to something exactly. else. It's kind of an interesting design. Yeah, and yeah. and yeah, and, and I know I repeat myself when I'm saying this, but again, there is no right or wrong in this. So um, as a programmer, you might really like this or you say like, hey, that's that's too much for for me. Yeah. And then I guess that kind of leads into this idea of if you speak a different language and you're writing comments, the code is going to be in Python, which is its own you know, specific language, which is really kind of leans toward English in most cases. You, as somebody who speaks German natively, did you go through a, a phase when you were learning it and adding comments to your code that you would type those in, a, in your native language? I don't have that experience, um, so I kind of always wonder you know, <laughs> what that's like. I can understand there might be circumstances where you share your code that might be different, but as you're learning, you may be experiencing it and doing it in a different way. So what's your experience with that as far as uh, you know, writing in your own native language? Would you do comments like that? Yeah, when I, when I started, definitely. Because, I mean, learning programming is so hard. And okay. if it's not your, your native, if English is not your native language, you you're basically have to learn two languages at the same time sometimes and i mean now that i'm also here and there with my video courses on real python I have to talk about things which basically <laughs> puts like a third level to it where i sometimes know like okay i'm i'm using yeah, yeah. words in my written tutorials that i don't actually know how to pronounce properly 
I've seen it written so many times, but I haven't exactly. had to pronounce it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, when I was starting, th- there were comments all over the place, and they were in German because I, I just and and there are people or or there are different paradigms out uh, out there saying like you, you should write as uh, as not many comments and as few comments as possible, and also they should be in English because then if you share your code, it's uh, other people can probably read it and that's true but i think if you're learning just do what you want and what helps you the most and for me that was putting a right comment on every other line and it was in german um and in german compared to english <laughs> you you have those weird characters like you have those uh umlaut that i was uh, was mentioning uh, the the, a, the U. Uh, so you have different different letters in german yeah i can think of the ones in french because i i studied french and I, I mean there are languages that, and that's a very like western european look at things like if you, you if you have other um script systems like like hebrew or Greek and and Cyrillic and so on, like things gets gets even even more complicated there. Yeah, because the characters look completely completely different. Uh, so yeah, that that basically brings us to this to this other area that you were mentioning that the font that you're using ideally should support your spoken or written language if you write comments in in your uh, in a other language than English because English comes comes along like with ASCII you you basically are are in in a good state but everybody who has a has a Polish name knows about this that on some websites if you have uh, like a like a slashed character or something there is this fallback font like rendering this one character in in a different different font because the the font that is uh, used otherwise doesn't support this character yeah. and uh, the same thing happens in your code editor as well. So there is also this fallback mechanic. If a font doesn't support a certain character, there is a fallback character used. And it's usually not a big deal. So I think it's a bigger deal if you're designing things for print or something um, and there is a different font for for certain letters. So for example, if you're having a book cover and the author has a Polish name, for example, you don't want to like right. have this, this weird-looking font there but you want to use a font that supports polish as well and um in programming yeah you you might have like a little little fallback character here and there but still i think it's it's nice and and it also it shows you that the type designer cared and of course you can't design for for every written language but there are maybe fonts out there that uh, supports your written language more and therefore might be nicer for you to use because um Maybe type designer comes uh, from a similar cultural area or has some connection to to a certain script system, and it's it's nice to to see this in, in the programming font as well. So this might be something to to consider there as well. Yeah. So and what's nice again that PDF has a, a really good description of not only the the font names and the sample printouts of it, and then you have those other kind of things that you highlighted. Does it have an underscore gap or a dotted zero and things like that? And then you have a number of styles and a number of characters so that somebody could at least steer themselves in a direction to say, oh, I would like something that potentially is going to support the different languages. Exactly. And all the different characters that they might be needing. Yeah, and, and you were just mentioning styles. Maybe to quickly jump on this with... Yeah. I was looking at at the regular style of of the fonts in the tutorial because uh, fonts often come in families, so that means you have different style, which means in the most basic way, you usually have a a regular style, a bold style, an italic style, and a bold italic style. 
bold, makes the makes the font a little bit fatter. Italic skews it a little bit, and some families go really wide in a spectrum of <laughs> dense, very thin yeah. to very bold to expand it uh, and and so so on so there might be a fun there where you like the, the characteristics of it but it's it's a little bit too too big for your taste so there might be a style if the family has more styles that is a bit thinner and uh, that you like a bit bit more so so that's basically something which i decided to not add to the tutorial too much because i mean it's kind of like makes everything exponentially yeah bigger if you would have to show every font and every style and uh, so on so that's why the pdf might be handy if you're uh, if you want to see how many styles there there is for for a font yeah i thought we could just talk about briefly like a spoiler uh, alert what's your favorite font i guess i could go with mine right now I use a program called Drafts to do all my note-taking. I think it's available across kind of the whole Apple spectrum, but I like it because it does a synchronization of all my notes across it. But I wasn't very happy with the default font because it had some of the things that we were talking about, and a lot of the stuff I'm dealing with <laughs> is code. <laughs> and so I need this ability to kind of switch back and forth between monospace and, and what I would consider my normal like note-taking font. So I recently selected uh, Avenir Next. This is mm. for my writing, which I think is a nice kind of pretty sans serif font. And it, it, it does pretty well for that. And then uh, it had a very minimal set of monospace fonts that I could pick. So I picked one called PT Mono mm. that does a pretty pretty good job. Is uh, It's rather <laughs> courier-esque <laughs> in its uh, shape and design. So it looks very typewritten, which I'm okay with. And it definitely has a lot of things that we talked about the you know, space between the underscores and things like that. What What are you currently using as your as your fonts? So, so th there are multiple ones, and, and I and I don't want to make it sound like I'm I'm like, like what we were talking at the beginning that I'm uh, I'm not programming. I'm just like switching my fonts in my my editor. But uh, yeah, there there are a few which so. Okay, a cool thing that you can do in VS Code, I don't know if you can do it in other editors as well, you can say that uh, for different uh, programming languages, you use different fonts. So for example, if you're uh, writing a Markdown uh, document, you can use a different font than when you're writing Python, or HTML, CSS, and so on. Yeah, yeah. So what I did there was being true to me writing a tutorial about programming fonts to actually switch the settings. So I have different fonts that I'm using right now. And one that I got into more while writing is uh, called Josefka Term. And the cool thing about this one is hmm. that it's one of those fonts where you can have so many configurations. Okay. So if you don't like a specific design of, of a character, you can you can run a script and, and switch it. Uh, so it's it's really interesting to to look into it. And the other thing, which is is a bit more personal to me, so there is a font uh, named Zudo. And um, while I was while I was writing the tutorial, uh, I stumbled up upon this font, and I actually realized that this font is from a former coworker of mine when when I did my first uh, internship in Berlin at Font Shop, <laughs> nice. uh, from uh, Jens Kutilek, who uh, kind of was was one of the the programmers that I learned Python from, and so he at some point decided to. Uh, to create a programming font, so uh, that's something which was was nice to discover because uh, I haven't seen him for for a while, and to see that uh, that he's still active in this area and uh, has a programming font as well. So I'm using the pseudo font uh, now, 
uh, as well. But yeah, apart from this, I, I like the JetBrains font that comes uh, with the uh, JetBrains editors. One that I also really like, which I already mentioned, is uh, Mononoke, partly because of the name, but it has really nice, quirky features that I, that I really appreciate. <laughs> So uh, I like to ask everybody who comes on the show some weekly questions, and um, you're probably familiar with them. Uh, the first one is, what's something that you're excited about in the world of Python right now? So yeah, one thing that I'm super excited right now is, and I'm so late to the party, is the Haiti uh, programming language. And uh, I was okay looking looking it up on, on RipPython before our call, because I was curious if it was mentioned here before. And I think Two years ago, uh, David Amos was mentioning uh, the Haiti programming language on uh, on the podcast, and I just stumbled over a YouTube uh, video the other day. And uh, Haiti is a programming language that's uh, related to Python, so it's based on Python. Okay, but the idea is to use it as a language to teach kids programming. Felina uh, Hermans, who uh, created the programming language in 2020, had really genius thoughts about uh, this topic, meaning that it's you, you, basically you, you put so much uh, overhead to, to learning programming if you're teaching syntax and concepts at the same time. And like you have to put quotes around the string, but uh, then you have like to put parentheses uh, around it. So the Hindi language is, I think it's called gradual programming language. So it starts basically very similar to, to the written language. So it started with, with English. So, for example, instead of for I in rage, parentheses, five parentheses, you write repeat five times if you want to say something like that. And so the, the program language has, okay. has levels. And in the end, it's basically like Python, but uh, it starts very, very low in the overhead. It has, I think, 18 levels. And the other cool thing is it's multilingual. That means it's not only English. So we were talking about German comments. And so it's, I don't know how many languages it supports uh, right now, but you can write it in German or Arabic and stuff like this. And I think that is so cool. But again, like it's nice. It's active. So it's, it's, uh, how's it spelled? Uh, it's H uh, E D Y and hedicode.com uh, um, is the, okay. the URL. And, yeah, I think everybody who has a kid or wants to teach a class of, of kids around the, I don't know, I would say around the age of 10 plus minus, it's really cool to to look into because I think it, it has super interesting concepts. So that really got me excited when I when I learned about uh, about this one. Nice. So what's something that you want to learn next? This doesn't have to be programming. It could be whatever you're looking forward to next to learn. So I, I recently got a, got a split keyboard. And a, like a keyboard that's like split in, in two in two halves. Ah, okay. So it's more ergonomic, which I thought was a bit weird, but it's so amazing to to use. So it it really helped my my back and my my wrists. <laughs> yeah. But I also realized that I that I'm not very good at touch typing, and so I, I'm I'm currently learning touch typing again. I have uh, again. And the other thing is that I want to use, like, to, to keep my hands on a keyboard. So I'm trying to find ways of yeah, using the mouse as few times as possible, meaning learning shortcuts, using different tools for it. And ah. yeah, so that's something which, which I'm nerding around a little bit uh, recently. Are you using any um, tools to help you 
practice that and get better at it? Uh, so you mean touch typing or uh, using the mouse less or both? Yeah, I think of like a typing tutor kinds of things. In fact, I've heard of ones that add all the interesting programming characters in also as a typing tutor. So you're not just typing okay. prose that you're typing actual like, you know, funky characters and stuff like that. So you, you kind of stretch your fingers out in, in ways to that is, get that under your hands without having to look for like, where are the curlies at again? <laughs> <laughs> that is very true. Uh, so yeah, the two, two pages I'm using is one is uh, keybr.com, I think. Okay. And the other one is monkeytype.com, uh, which are fun to use. So it's it's something that I'm trying out a little bit. Uh, a tool that helps me using the mouse less is called uh, Home Row. I'm not sure if it's only for the Mac. I think so. But it basically lets you select uh, different UI elements on the screen with a character shortcut, which also really helps a lot of clicking things. So yeah, that's something which I do in my free time uh, right now. <laughs> Cool. I usually ask uh, where people can follow your work online. Obviously, they can follow your work online at RealPython. Are you doing any other social media kinds of things, or are you active in that way uh, that you would shout out uh, ways to people can follow you? No, I think RealPython is is, the, is a good place to start. And apart from this, I'm only on, on LinkedIn. So uh, anybody who wants can reach out to me on LinkedIn or at realpython.com. But yeah, any other social media channels. Maybe chess.com is, is another one that I mentioned here and there, but I haven't been on it for a while as well. <laughs> okay. But yeah, the, the rest is is more, it's it's too much going on that I uh, stay stay out of it the best I can. I honestly say this, good for you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> as somebody who uh, spends a little too much time on it, uh, as people who listen probably know. So Yeah, it was a journey. It was a journey though, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Well, Philip, thanks so much for coming on the show. It was really fantastic to talk to you again. Yeah, thanks so much, Chris. It's always a pleasure. All right. I want to thank Philip Xeni for coming on the show again this week. And I want to thank you for listening to the Real Python podcast. Make sure that you click that follow button in your podcast player. And if you see a subscribe button somewhere, remember that the Real Python podcast is free. If you like the show, please leave us a review. You can find show notes with links to all the topics we spoke about inside your podcast player or at realpython.com slash podcast. And while you're there, you can leave us a question or a topic idea. I've been your host, Christopher Bailey, and I look forward to talking to you soon.